Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Zanvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about haunted homes. Not to be confused with haunted houses or haunted mansions. No, no, haunted homes. But first, as always, oh, we got some shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to Lori. Hi, hey, howdy, hi, welcome. Get me your address for your shirt and... Any ideas for shows, I will add them to the list. We also have shout-outs going out to Alec, Roger Funk, which I immediately wanted to see. We got the funk, got all about that funk, but I'm sure he's heard that a billion times, so I won't. Come on up, Rum. I'm doing the shout-outs. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? We also have shout-outs to Kimberly, Adam. Hey, howdy, hi. Karen, Ethan, Sylvester, Duran, Nikki Loves James, Cobalt Slayer 42, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, Esteban, Orlando, Steve, and Stephen Cher. I just got a um, a letter from uh, Nico Cher, and I have not opened it yet. I, I, I haven't had a chance, but I just got it in the mail finally. Thank you so much. I love your letters, by the way. Jane Ann, Jennifer, Heather G., your friendly neighborhood skinwalker, Zuzus, what's it? Paula Cassidy Bishop, I believe it was just your birthday. Hey, howdy, hi, happy birthday. Rick, Nico sharing the mouse, who I was just talking about. Thank you for the letter. Andrew, Paul, Mark and Tina, Tortuga, Hannah Boo, Mike from Jersey, Terry Ann, Tuesday Marie, Jay Bizzle, Andy Ross, Tracy, hey, howdy, hi, Virginia Mailman, Robin, Tony the Magician, Flory, Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay, Tim, Buzz, Tom, Lobita Works, Glacier Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Tamara, Amber, Gary, Tracy, Matthew, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, my grand's crypto. Much better than my dad's crypto. Much better than my crypto. My grand's crypto. Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass, Magic, Robot, Webcomic, Lionel, Sandy, Page, Couch, Bentman, 666, Deborah, Nezhead, Andrew, Tasha, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Spencer, Ricardo, Vicky, Christopher, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Izzard, Breath, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Bill, Dustin, Terminal Animal, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Jake, Charlotte, and the Beasties, Joshua, Alexis, Jen, Voidtech, Elizabeth. Oh, interesting. These are all the patrons, not just the regular ones. Patreon is changed this stuff. So guess what? If you're ever a patron, you're about to get a shout out from Beyond the Grave. Connor, Steve, Sherry, Alexia, Art Muffin, Maury, Trudy, Tim ba- Tim Bentley. Hey, wait a minute. Happy birthday to the one, the only, Tim. Happy birthday, Tim. East Clintwood, Justin Kenneth. Pidubadaby2, Ricardo, Ricky Ricardo. Not just Ricardo, but Ricky Ricardo. The Croatian sensation, Julia Danger Duck. Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Showtime G., Tanya, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, Eek, Jennifer, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Zozo the Demon, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Karen, Casey, Ashley, Krista, Nick, Harry, Jaden, Noah, Erie the Cat, Fran, DNA to, oh my goodness, this is too many people, DNA to Jen, Wagner, Steven, Carolyn the Conspiracist, yeah, I like that one, what's that, Loki, Lorelai, Mickey, Anthony, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Carrie, Trucker Jim, Kelly Hines, Lauren, Carrie, Bill, Russell, Tanya, Brett, Donald, Joe, Chris, Brendan, Jared, Jared, Lorraine, Joanne, I, Isabel, Milldog, Jeff B, Isabel again, Audra, Kimberly, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Jade, Paige, Laura, Damian, Sean Bishop, hey, howdy, hi, Jeff, Andrew, Cole, Stacy, ah, Monsters, Catherine, Paula, Cassidy, Bishop, again, Sonny, Alicia, Drake, Ariel, Jerry, oh my goodness, Leo, 
Peaches the Cat, Scouston, Milo, Devin, Kyle, Rachel, Lindsay, E.T., Reed, Nick, Tree, Aaron, Joshua, Erica, Harvey, Matthews, Jason, John, Brody, Jennifer, Simon, Jamie, Megan, Madison, Sage, Jason, Kelly, Kelsey, Richard, Matt, Aaron, Fabian, Aaron, Kenny, Jared, Amy, Jeff T, Harley, Lionel, Jenny, Tosh, Tash, Logan, Jonathan, Suzanne, Joe, Assless Chaps. All right. Lawrence, Melissa, Kyle, Joshua, Vincente. Keep them going here, people. N. Caballero, Judy, Rosa, Shelly, Lauren, Lily, the Lauren Strong, that is. Hey, howdy, hi. Keith, Troy, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Robot, Trav, Sarah, Amber, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Jory, the Dungeon Master next door, Jade, Rodney, Nashi, Michaela, Jeff, Lash, Megan, Sarah, Subliminal Cyanide, Heidi, Rich, Kira, Rachel, Lindsay, Black Dahlia, Pablo, Shani, Chuck, Maggie, Jeff, Laura, Ruth, Cat, Cat, Anthony, Todd, Jamie, Elijah, Hendrickson, Dan, Edgar, Angie, Matt, Dill, whew, Laura Pitts, Gamer Fan, and Aylin David. Oh, wow. All right. Patron throwing me for a loop. A whole lot of patrons getting shouted out there. But you know what? Fuck it. I like that. If you are ever a patron, you just got shouted out. And thank you oh so much for your support. Because of your support, you might be saying, Hey, Kurt, what'd you do with your patron money this past couple of months? You haven't talked about it. Well, I finally got it in. So now I can talk about it. I got a couple of new equipment, uh, pieces of equipment for paranormal investigations, including a thermal IR detector. It's a really neat piece of equipment. Yes, I know I said I was going to post a video on Facebook. I tried. For like two days straight, I tried. I'm going to do a Facebook Live after this and show you all of the equipment, including the new stuff, including the IR detector, thermal detector, which is a very neat piece of equipment. And I also got a uh, Ovilus device. Uh, patrons, I uploaded three videos from a secret special location just for you guys, um, which shows me playing with three of the new things because the other the other new thing I got was I got a new REM pod. Not just any, any REM pod, though. This is a REM pod that looks like a dog, stuffed animal, plushy kind of a thing, which I think will be very essential for uh, some upcoming uh, paranormal investigations. I'm excited for you guys to see those. But I'll do a Facebook Live after this episode, and um, I'll show you some of the new stuff that I got. So thank you to the patrons. Also, speaking of thank yous, I've got someone sent me a Ouija board in in the mail because you can you can send me stuff in the mail. I'll I'll hold on. Let me get my address because I never remember it. Uh, something like that. Um, here we go. No, that's not it. The hell's my? Oh, that's. Inverted. Here we go. No, that's not it either. All right, I'll try and get you the address. Don't worry. I can find part of it, but I can't find all of it. Uh, it's 7102 P.O. Box, but what is the actual address, Kurt? I don't know. I'll find you the address. But speaking of the address, someone sent me a Ouija board which was freaking awesome. It's one of the glow-in-the-dark Ouija boards. I don't know who sent it to me. There was no address or no return or note or anything in there. So if you sent me the Ouija board, please let me know because that was freaking awesome. I thank you so much. Here we go. You can mail me stuff to Paranormal Almanac at 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102 in Burbank, California, 91506. That address, once again, 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102. Burbank, California, 91506. It's going to be cool. Thank you. Um, but I also got some other cool stuff. Besides that, I got, uh, like I said, I got a Ouija board, glow-in-the-dark Ouija board. Really freaking cool. Thank you to whomever sent that. I also got... Three cryptid currency coins that are bitching. I just got them. There's one that's a chupacabra, one that's a Bigfoot, one that's a Loch Ness monster, not a monster. And they're freaking awesome. I don't know who to thank for that either. They, I mean, they, there's some cool stuff that I just got in the mail, and I, I, well, I'm just putting it out there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hold on a second. I need to get a drink. That, uh, that shout out, man, that winded me. That was a lot to that. Hold on one second. <clears throat> All righty. Um, 
yeah, so I've been getting some stuff in the mail. I thank you all for that. Uh, patrons, videos were uploaded. Take a look and take a look and a listen because I didn't listen back. So I don't know if I got any responses. So I need you guys, if you want to, to listen to those videos and see if I got any paranormal responses because I was doing kind of like an, you know, like an EVP session, if you will. Um, so if you see, if you do hear something, you know, let me know. Be like, hey man, I think you caught something because I want to hear it. But then again, like I said, after this, I will be doing a Facebook Live to show you some of the equipment and other fun stuff. Let's get right on into paranormal news. Paranormal news. Alrighty, the first story in paranormal news. UFO hotspots include active war zones and cities hit by atomic bombs, according to the map. There's a concentrated number of UFO sightings in Japanese cities linked to nuclear activity and active Middle East war zones, according to the Department of Defense. That includes Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, in the Middle East as well. There was a similar object called the Mosul Orb that was recorded by American spy planes over Mosul, Iraq in 2016. Almost nothing is known about either of the incidents, they say. But a heat map of concentrated UFO sightings was originally released during an April congressional hearing by the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO. And uh, there's no explanation to any of them. They said this map is a cool little hotspot. It was very neat, but... They said it's going to be virtually impossible to fully identify that just based off of the video, what what you know, what things are, what these why these hotspots are on the maps, why these things are anomalous. It's a, there's a lot to go over, but there is a new website that we can actually go to that the government is posting a lot of this stuff including the maps, and they said if you go over to the website and take a look, you know, you'll 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 find out all the information that the government wants you to know. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, let's see. Speaking of that website, the U.S. Department of Defense has launched a website intended to be a one-stop shop for publicly available information on unidentified anomalous phenomena. That is arrow.mil, A-A-R-O dot M as in Mary, I, L as in Larry. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to it. Take a look at it. They said they're going to add a whole lot more to it. And, um, uh, Let's see. Let's see what happens. Up next in paranormal news, a secret memo raises more questions about UFO shootdown shootdowns over Alaska and Canada. Now, you guys remember that uh, spy balloon that was like just floating over the country, and finally they were like, "Fuck it, let's shoot it down," and they shot it down. It was like a Chinese spy balloon. Well, around that time, there were three unidentified objects in three days over Alaska, the Yukon, and over Michigan, Lake Huron, to be exact. Uh, let's see. Minister Justin Trudeau received a secret memo laying out how the Canadian government was responding to the February 11th Yukon incident. In addition, it stated the full exploitation of whatever the U.S. Air Force shot down over the waters of Alaska on February 10th had, quote, not yet been completed. Reports a few days later stated that the U.S. had called off the search for wreckage of the downed object. Clearly, um... There was something going on because it wasn't something as simple as, look, we got all your stupid little wreckage from your Chinese spy balloon. There was more to it, they said. Uh, it says, uh, let's see. The object was, uh, the object the memo identified is UAP number 23, meaning that it was the 23rd unidentified radar track by NORAD over North America at that point in the year that was classified as, quote, a UAP did rise to a higher level of concern given that it was shot down. The memo stated that the function, method of propulsion, or affiliation to any nation and state of the unidentified flying object shot down by a U.S. Air Force F-22 Raptor on February 11th, quote, remains unverified. It is unknown whether it poses any armed threat or has intelligence collection capabilities. The memo also pointed out the Canadian Air Force was leading an aviation search to find the, the downed object, and there was, quote, scant hope that it would be found. The mountainous terrain, existing snow cover, and expected new snowfall make the prospect of recovery unlikely. 
So what was it? Was it just another spy balloon? Was it someone's, you know, big balloon that they put out there, like high school balloon for science experiments? No idea. And we probably will never know because even if they come, you know, six months from now, if they find that crappy little weather balloon, nobody's going to believe that's what they really shot down. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, another Amelia Earhart story? Well, sort of. I was really excited. I was hoping that Tiger, the, the company that's been searching for Amelia Earhart, was going to have another update, and they don't really. Well, not well. let me just read it to you. Uh, I'm going to skip all that stuff. You know where she went down. Uh, they're checking around Nikamaruru, which I believe, as well as they do, that is where she went down, the plane went down, and where they'll find pieces of the plane because there were distress radio calls from that island right after the crash. Um, there's a lot of theories that they landed on the coral reef right by the island, and then the plane, you know, the tide slowly took the plane out and that they didn't have any food, so they died on the island. Giant crabs came and scavenged all the bones, all that fun stuff. But there was a piece of metal debris that washed up on the island in 1991 that a lot of people were like, boom, that's it. That's a piece of the Electra itself. Well, 30 years, technology finally found some hidden letters and numbers, and they matched the markings, D24, XRO, and either 335 or 385. Well... It doesn't match to the Electra, but it did match to a downed Douglas C-47 World War II aircraft. But Tiger says, 2009, there's a photo that they think might have a piece of uh, Amelia Earhart's plane on it. That's right. The similarity to an engine cowling and prop shaft was not noticed until years later of this photo. The exact location was not noted at the time, which meant attempts to relocate the object were unsuccessful so far but they're still going they believe that the uh the plane like i said kind of floated off and then went down and really went down far but tiger still maintains that nikamaruru island is still their best hope to find it um like i said they had that those distress calls that were heard coming from that area navy searchers at the time saw recent habitation on the island but they didn't investigate it unfortunately because they thought people lived on the island, which nobody had. Had the Navy just went to the island, they could have found a probably really wounded Amelia Earhart and Noonan. Sad, but uh, I still think they're going to end up finding the engine or some big bulky part of the plane down at the ocean floor. Alrighty, up next, remembering Sidney Zipkin. He's the security guard who swore he saw a UFO in a Churchville park. Official Washington, official Washington recently gave photos. Oh, I see what they're saying. Washington recently gave, they don't need the word official at the beginning. Washington recently gave UFOs, unidentified aerial phenomena, the blessing of a congressional, ah, you don't need to hear about this. Uh, let's see. The point of this is that they're saying, had he still been alive, Sidney Zipkin of Rochester might have demanded a seat at the witness table because on Monday, July 31st, 1967 at 1015 p.m., Sydney came upon a flying saucer and two small aliens in a Churchville park just outside of Rochester, New York. The uh, extraterrestrial encounter was 56 years ago. This, what day was this? August 4th. Um, and uh, it made the news. They, everybody kind of ridiculed the poor guy. And they're saying, look, this is exactly what he said he saw way back then. He, he basically went on, you can laugh at me what I'm telling you. In fact, I used to laugh myself when people said they saw these things. But I saw this with my own eyes, and I swear to God as a witness that I saw what I saw. Yeah, it is kind of a bummer. I see where they're going with this that news story. It is kind of a bummer that all these people that swore they saw UFOs, swore they saw unidentified objects, and were ridiculed and had unfortunate things happen, like they lost their job, shit like that. Well, now we know aliens are real. UFOs are real. The government is telling you. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. Aaron Rodgers recaps alleged UFO sighting. He said, we just stood there in disbelief. That's right. Uh, the New York Jets quarterback, I almost said baseball player. <laughs> I don't know sports, people. Uh, the New York Jets quarterback recounted what happened in an episode of HBO's Hard Knocks, saying that 
He was at his college team, teammate Steve Levy's house in 2005 when they saw a UFO. Rogers remembers that what happened moments before he saw a large object in the sky. He said, I was getting, I was getting down to bed. I heard this alarm in the distance going off. It just didn't seem like normal, and I heard some rustling downstairs. So I got up, walked downstairs. It's a beautiful night. Steve and his brother and I walked outside. Up in the clouds, we heard this sound, and we saw this tremendously large object moving through the sky. He said it was like a scene out of Independence Day when the ships are coming into the atmosphere and they're creating this kind of explosion-type fire in the sky. We just saw this incredibly large object and froze as anybody would. He says what they saw eventually went away, but the three of them stayed in place and didn't, under, didn't utter a word. He said 30 seconds later, they heard what sounded like fighter jets. And again, we just stood there in disbelief for another few minutes. Nobody said a word. And we, were, we all kind of looked at each other like, did we just see what we thought we just saw? What was that? He said they tried to go to sleep maybe 20 minutes later. He said, you're still not really sleeping. You just experienced this bizarre experience. We looked in the paper and online the next few days. There was nothing about it. Uh, they spoke to uh, Today.com, spoke to Levy, who said, or Levy, who said, uh, every single thing that Aaron said about the encounter was 100% authentic, except for one thing. Rogers said it happened at Levy's home in New Jersey, but the home was, in fact, in New York, just across the water. Yeah, that's cool. There's another one for you. I don't I don't know sports, so sure, seems seems big. Already up next in paranormal news. Let's keep going. I gotta get stuff. I got stuff to get to. Loch Ness Monster Hunter, not a not a monster. Uh spots head, neck, and black hump emerging from water. Now this one was written about like crazy. I don't know what to say. But it's not the one you're thinking about. Was it real? Was it not real? No. This one is from Oh, no. Owen O'Fergan. Owen O'Fergan. Shoot. I already forgot how to say Owen's name. He's awesome, too. He said he was watching the water via webcam when he spotted what could well be the Loch Ness Monster surfacing in the distance. The portion of the creature that appeared out of the water first looked like the head and neck of something big. When this upper portion of its body submerged, a long, blake, a long, long black object appeared. It could have easily been at... Oh, my goodness. It could have easily been... Eight feet long. Immediately, the black, round, hump-like shape rolled over, whale-like in the water, and submerged. Way to go, Owen. You made another episode of Paranormal Almanac, and my God, man, I thought he was cool before I talked to him. Man, he was cool. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend you go and listen to that episode because hearing it from the man himself, not Ian O'Fadigan like I called him, it's Owen O'Fagan, I believe. He's freaking cool, people. I really dig him. I can't wait to have him back on the show. Alrighty, up next, Paranormal News. Let's stick with Nessie for a minute. The moment ACDC's Brian Johnson tried to find the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, with fireworks. Let's see. Um, uh, let's see. I recently had a plumber come around to fix some stuff in the boiler. Upon hearing that I was a music journalist, he told me about his young apprentice, um... And, and about ACD's growling frontman, Brian Johnson. The young lad had no idea who Johnson was. When they were working on his palatial pad, he mistook the casually dressed rocker walk, wandering down the drive for the groundskeeper. Uh, okay, let's get to the boom, boom, boom. Um, yeah, okay, great. All righty. One of Brian's stories that he told this plumber was that he went hunting for the Loch Ness Monster. He said, we both had these Land Rovers, and we'd taken them for a trip around Scotland. Malcolm loved his fireworks, and he'd taken a big box with them. One night, we were four sheets to the wind and staying at, at this hotel right on the side of the lock. Mal said, come on, let's go find the Loch Ness Monster. I've got fireworks, and it might attract it. Uh, they waded in. They were going, there we were, going straight into the water in our shoes up to our knees, and it was freezing. Mal had a drink in one hand, a box of fireworks in the other, and was trying to set fire to the lock. We were just howling. By the time we got back to our wives, we had straw in our hair. We were covered in mud. What a night. It was nights just like that when you thought, how daft and fun was that? Yeah, that is cool. They didn't obviously catch him or burn the or burn Nessie, thankfully. So with that, let's move on. I got to keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm burning daylight here. Whitehall, New York. Do you live near it? Do you live in it? Do you, you want to go to it? Well, if you do, you should go to Whitehall, New York, Sasquatch Festival and Calling Contest, September 30th, 2023. They'll have vendors, food, artifacts, authors, games, music, beer gardens, and more. 
at the Skeensboro Park, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. September 30th. That's cool. That's way cool. I'd like to go. I'd like to be invited to one of those. Maybe one day people will start paying attention to me. Damn it. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Up next in paranormal news, animal expert believes they solved UK big cat sightings. That's right. If you've been listening to the news or watching the news or checking the news or going online at all, I'm sure you've seen there's been more sightings of big cats in the UK where there aren't supposed to be, where they say they don't exist, where I believe they do. Well, um, they said it's not really a Black Panther. Bullshit. I've seen that photo. That's a Black Panther. That's a Black Panther. But he says people have been seeing the super rare melanistic fox. She told the outlet there are over 400 black foxes roaming the streets and countrysides. If somebody believes they've seen a big cat, more often than it's going to be just a more regular animal. If they're adamant they've seen a big cat, it's a high chance it might be a fox instead. Or if you look at the photos, that's a black panther, not a fox. So I disagree with you. And because it's my show, I'm moving on to the next story. All righty. I haven't watched this video yet, but two Loch Ness monsters spotted on webcam. Well, now it's my time. It's from Owen. So I already believe him. Oh, this is the one he actually sent me. I have seen this video. He actually sent this to me after the interview. And fuck yeah, it is. I don't know if it's too big. I don't know if it's two Loch Ness Monsters or two big humps from a Loch Ness Monster. But uh, I didn't realize that was his video. Way to go. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. You are 100% on board. Finally, in paranormal news, mystery creature filmed by security system frightens homeowners. All right, I haven't watched this video yet. I thought it was a human hand. I'm like, hold on, let me, let me watch it again. It was quite the wake-up call for this nope. Lehigh Acres family. All right, stop. Some stop. I'm seven seconds into it. They just show it on camera. It's a, it's a toad. It's a toad that walks over the camera. I don't need to find that out that I'm right because I know it's a toad. I can tell it. All righty, with that, let's, uh, let's, keep, let's keep going on. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back. And on this edition, I didn't want to do another UFO episode because everybody's saying, you're doing too many UFO episodes. Well, I really haven't been. I just talked to Owen about the Loch Ness Monster. That's a cryptid, not a UFO. So I personally don't think I've been doing too many UFO episodes, but since people said that, I said, fine. And I went through my little list of uh, stories and I went, oh, here you go. Let's talk about haunted homes in the United States. Now, eventually, I will talk about a, ha a haunted home in each state. So, I don't know. Keep track. Make a list. I, I don't know. what. I let's see how I do. That's what I'm saying. All right. For this first one, though, we go to New York, which right now I would love to go to New York. It is 90 degrees at 6 p.m. right now. It's flipping hot. It was 105 when I went to go get a soda earlier today. It's stupid hot out. So yeah, I want to go to I want to go to New York. I want to go to Manhattan right now, but I can't. Um, so I guess let me push this magical button and let's go to New York virtually. We go to 14 West 10th Street in Greenwich Village. That's in Manhattan, in case you guys didn't know that. Where um, pretty much all of these stories, except for I think one, are in Manhattan. Yeah, I think all but one are in Manhattan. Let's go to a four-story brownstone. That fun fact, when it was constructed in the 1850s in the Washington Square Park area of New York City, well, the park was known for being a burial ground where human remains and remnants of wood coffins and headstones were dug up because people just kind of forgot about tiny little cemeteries and they were building up Manhattan so quickly. Now, I don't know how many new listeners I have, but let me just tell you. Building a house, a building of any kind, really, on human human remains and remnants of wood coffins and headstones, this is bad. Like, I'm talking poltergeist movie bad. So, if you're building a new home and you dig it up to build the new home, you're digging up the ground, and you find human remains and or headstones and shit like that, 
just pour gasoline everywhere, light it, and walk away. You're never going to live there. You're never going to be happy there. Don't live there. Don't make a house there. Nothing good has ever come from, you know, like, oh, you know what? I, I won the lotto. And then when I dug up the area where I won the lotto at, I found human remains. No, no, no good story ends with, and then when we dug up the ground, we found human remains. Unless, you know, like you're an archaeologist or one of those guys looking for like mummies or some shit. Then I guess that's a good ending of the story. But otherwise, nothing good else will ever happen. Alrighty, back to this brownstone home, which is now now nicknamed the House of Death. Kurt here, also a red flag. If you're going to buy a house on Zillow and it says, this home is known as the House of Death. Nope, nope. Don't save it on Zillow. You just, you can send it to me and I'll talk about it, but don't buy it is what I'm saying. Don't, don't go and see it. Don't put a down payment out. It's just going to be bad. So this house of death was the residence of many of New York's high society, including James Borman Johnson and his wife. Huh? I didn't know who he was either. I had to look it up. Uh, he was one of the founders of the, the Metropolitan Underground Railroad and the Broadway Underground Railroad. So subways, I guess? I don't know. I don't know why that was such a big deal, but everybody was like, ooh, James Borman Johnson lived here. Okay, cool. For me, the first recorded incident of, well, it's actually not death, but just bad luck. It happened at this location in 1897. When cycling celebrity, cycling, I said that weird, cycling celebrity Fred H. Andrew had just moved into the brownstone. All right, I'm just going to read you a very brief piece about this from the newspaper at the time. New York Times, August 9th, 1897. Andrew had a moment of, quote, reckless bicycle riding that caused him to hit a boy around eight years old. The boy suffered a broken leg, and Andrew was subsequently arrested. That's it. Not, he was riding the bicycle so fast that he went, like, split the boy in half, and the boy's, you know, half of the bodies are seen today. No. He just, he, he had a kid riding his bicycle, and the kid broke a leg. Doesn't seem so bad yet. So far, it's just the house of bad bicycling. But... Next up at the same location, Mark Twain. That's right, the Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens himself. He lived in the house for one year. Now, he was a well-known skeptic, but he said, well, supposedly, he supposedly wrote of the paranormal experiences he had in his new home. He said one evening he witnessed a large piece of wood kindling move in the air all by itself. Thinking that the wood was being moved by a rat... You, you said it was moving by itself. You can't see a rat? Um, he said that um, he, the rat must have had some use for the wood. Well, he shot it with his gun. Which, Kurt here, I got to imagine was a little extreme even back then. I mean, I get that it's not like nowadays if you just shoot off a gun in New York. But even back then, I can't imagine you can just start shooting a gun off in a tiny brownstone I don't know. It seems bad is what I'm saying. He said, The wood suddenly fell to the ground, surrounded by a few drops of blood. Uh, did Mark Twain shoot a ghost? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, but I think I should say don't fucking shoot ghosts, Mark Twain. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps because he shot a ghost, since I have no idea how it works, um, the ghost of Mark Twain is seen here to this day. He's seen marching around and walking up and down the stairs. So if he did shoot a ghost and now he's ghost roommates with that ghost, that's gotta be awkward. Like the ghost was like, Hey man, I was just like trying to tell you I was around. So I lifted up a piece of, and then you shot me. Also, People are really calm about the fact that he didn't find a rat. There was just some blood. Ghosts bleed? I don't know. There's a lot to that story, but yet there isn't. Uh, let's see. Let's keep going on. One woman who had just moved into the building with her daughter in the 1930s 
Uh, it was split into condos at this time. She said she walked into a room to see, yep, Mark Twain's ghost perched on a window seat. He nonchalantly approached the mom and daughter saying, my name is Clemens and I has a problem here I gotta settle. He then disappeared moments later into thin air. Notice she didn't immediately shoot him. So how about we don't? Uh, from the 30s, we go to the 1950s. When Jan Bryant Bartell, her husband and her daughter, rented a spacious apartment on the top floor of, well, this building. It's what I'm talking about right now. Uh, this was in 1957. She was an off-Broadway actress and a poet. She was also a self-proclaimed psychic. Well, she wrote about her time at this place in a book called Spindrift. Spray from a psychic sea. Spindrift. Spray from a psychic sea. I mean, it's a good title. I don't know what the hell it means. So, anyhow, the apartment she moved into once housed the servants of the building, and she said from the very first week, she saw, quote, a monstrous moving shadow, which would often follow her around the apartment. One time, she said she saw a ghostly figure of a man standing in a hall. Bravely, she reached out and tried to touch whatever she was seeing. She felt something, but nothing like she had ever felt before, she said. In her book, she describes it as, here we go, it's going to get wordy. A substance without substance, chilly, damp, diaphanous as marsh mist or a cloud of ether. I could feel my fingers freeze at the tips. They were numb, and yet they tingled. In the split second between contact and recoil, the scent came. Fragile fragile and languorous and sweet, unbearably, cloyingly sweet. So basically she touched it, it was cold, then she got a weird scent. Uh, she would also find food that she hadn't purchased on her table and it was rotting like it had been sitting there for weeks. She said that happened more than once. Also, her little dog would often snap and bark at nothing as if it was being tormented in the place. Then things got worse and worse and worse again. So bad that she called self-appointed psychic and ghost hunter Hans Holzer. I did an episode about Hans Holzer. If you don't remember him, here's a little backstory real quick on Hans Holzer. He investigated the Amityville Horror House with Ethel Johnson Myers in 1977. Boom, there you go. All right, so Hans Holzer comes, Holzer comes by, and uh, he's trying to get the activity to quiet down in the apartment, and he's like, nope, it's not quiet and down. The New York Post at the time said, The strange occurrences started out small. A sound of footsteps following her up the stairs, a brush against the back of her neck, even when her hair was tied up, a strange rotting smell that would seemingly come and go like wispy smoke. Then things got darker. Shadows that no light would touch. A mysterious chair. Their dog would snarl and growl at as if it contained some invisible enemy. All right, why is the chair mysterious? I get what they mean. Like, hey, there's this chair that the dog would snarl and growl at. But anyhow. Then, a phantom, shriveled grape that appeared in the dead center of a clean dinner plate. Even though the couple hadn't bought grapes in months. She found furniture inexplicably moved from its usual place. The sound of crashing glass chased her around the building. Most Most unsettling, though, was the odors that appeared out of nowhere. One fragrant, like ancient perfume. The other, a rotting miasma that was offensive. Is there an ooh button? No. 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 Nope, no ooh. Just imagine everybody just went, ooh, rotting miasma. Alrighty, so they ended up living there until the 70s when the neighborhood got a little rough. New York was getting a little bit sketchy. Uh, So they moved their entire family up to a home in New Rochelle, New York. Okay, that's it for them. Still not a house of death. Come on, house of death. Start causing deaths is what I'm saying at this point. Next, a man named Dennis. That's all I could find out. 
He said he lived in the house for several years and that, yeah, he also experienced paranormal activity, such as lights going on and off, and, quote, little clips and visions of women in long gowns going from room to room. All right, that doesn't sound too bad. Now, Dennis was a photographer and a musician. He would often invite women to his apartment to photograph them. Creepy. He said on more than one occasion that women would run out upon seeing a woman in a long flowing black dress followed by a cat. Okay, Dennis, why not get photographs of the woman ghost that was there? You had your camera out. You were trying to get this girl naked and then this ghost girl. Take a picture of the ghost woman, Dennis. Next up is Joel Steinberg. All right, I looked this douchebag up, and uh, he's a douchebag, basically. Uh, it's a valid description. He was, dis he was a disbarred New York criminal defense attorney who, we actually might be getting to death stuff here, he attracted international media attention when he was convicted of manslaughter after he beat his adopted daughter to death in the building on November 1987. All right. I know I wanted some deaths from the house of death, but not like that. That's a terrible death. Um, apparently Joel tried, um, he, he tried crack basically kids don't, don't try crack kids. Don't do drugs because Joel tried crack. And, um, there's this woman named Hedda Nussbaum who also lived there. She was an author of children's books. Uh, she watched as Joel beat six year old Lisa Steinberg to the ground basically putting her in a coma where she died shortly after that. Uh, he got out of jail in 2004, so he did some time in jail. And as of 2006, he still maintains his innocence. From the New York Times article on the case of March 1989, Joel B. Steinberg was sentenced to eight years to 25 years in state prison yesterday in the death of six-year-old Lisa Steinberg, the girl he helped raise. The penalty was the maximum he could have received, and the judge said he would highly recommend against parole. Mr. Steinberg received the sentence without any sign of emotion, except for slumping slightly in resignation to what he knew was coming. Before the sentence was imposed, Mr. Steinberg, sounding like the lawyer he was until disbarment, addressed the bench at first dispassionately, almost clinically, going over bits of evidence presented in trial, and then moving into a rambling monologue about Lisa's death and his role in her life. By the end, his voice was breaking, although he said he felt no remorse because he had not caused her death. He said, I feel that pain every day. It's my loss. I'm a victim, as was everyone who knew Lisa. Now, fuck this guy. You're not a victim. You beat a six-year-old to death. A-hole. Uh, back to the story. When police entered the home, they found Lisa beaten into unconsciousness. She died of a brain hemorrhage in the hospital four days later. Police, uh, police also found another of Steinberg and Newsbaum's children, quote, tethered to a playpen by a length of rope. The clothing of the child and the mattress on which he was sitting were covered in urine. Fucking a-holes. Um, let's see. Bum, bum, bum. Leanne Renee Hyber, author of Eterna and Omega, wrote, Tucked within a frame within a famed high-end real estate area where most of the gorgeous townhomes have stately swoops, stately stoops, climbing to glorious first floors, 14 descends down below the sidewalk before you, as does the energy of the building, dropping off sharply. Just walking by it gave me a sinking, troubled, pressed, and fraught sense. The sense that the building is in and of itself, a distinctively negative presence and that something is deeply wrong here. She calls it a Manhattan version of Amityville. Okay. So there's one murder, but if you look this place up, everyone online quotes as quote, quotes as many as 22 ghosts in the building and 40 four murders that happened at this address. Even that Jan Bartell woman, she wrote in her book, like a game of 10 little Indians, death began to occur in the house. The first to die was a dog, my own beloved Penelope. But within 24 hours, she was to learn of the death of the first human tenant. 
whether by heart attacks, suicide, or murder, the deaths came in rapid succession. In terror, with nine little Indians gone, the Bartels moved from Greenwich Village, but the haunting followed them. After the completion of the book, Jan Bartel became the tenth of the little Indians. Okay, except she died in her house in New Rochelle, and I can't find any newspaper articles of a high number of deaths in this building. So, ultimately, yes, I think this is a haunted location. Sure, I'm with you on that one. But I think the numbers are the stuff of urban legends. There's only 10 apartments here, people, but there's 22 ghosts? That's over two ghosts per apartment. You would think this place would be like the number one haunted location in the world, not just Manhattan. Like, hey, you, you, you don't believe in ghosts? Here, do me a favor. Go in this building for two seconds. Boom, 22 ghosts coming at your face. See, it's too built up. You got to, you know, you got to calm it down just a little bit, people. If there were new newspaper articles about like mysterious deaths or a high number of deaths or whatever at this address, all right, maybe there's 22 ghosts. But the sure as shit weren't 44 murders that I could find that happened in this place. Also, I looked up the address on Zillow. There are a bunch of photos of the inside of the building and I couldn't spot one ghost or even one dust orb even. I was trying. I was looking in all corners of all the photos like, ooh, is that a ghost? Nope, that's just a really ugly chair. Is that a ghost? Nope, that's a leather couch. That's got to stick to you in the summer in Manhattan. I don't know. All I'm saying is I wanted the house of death to have a lot more death. But let's keep moving on. Let's, uh, let's stick in Manhattan. And like I said, I think one in Brooklyn. I think the last one's in Brooklyn. And let's see if I can find a more haunted home than the, quote, number one haunted home in Manhattan, the house of death. Uh-huh. All righty, for this next, ep- next one on this episode, let's go to 57 West 57th Street. This is where, in 1922, Albert Champion, who, Kurt here, I can't believe he's also a cyclist. That's two cyclists in one episode, but... He wasn't a reckless one like that other dick. Um, But his last name is Champion. That sound kind of familiar? It should because he's also the inventor of the spark plug. Well, he married showgirl Edna Crawford. Even with all that spark plug fame, she cheats on him with Frenchman Charles Brazel. Cut to five years later. In 1927, Charles supposedly murdered, they say allegedly, it's not really allegedly, he murdered Albert in a Paris hotel. So Edna and Charles, they convinced the local authorities that, oh, no, no, Albert, he died of a weak heart. So, you know, like, c'est la vie. They go back to New York with a shit ton of money. Like, even back then, in like the 20s, like $40 million kind of money, you know? And they buy the penthouse at 57 West 57th Street. Shocker. Charles wasn't just a murderer. He also didn't trust Edna to be faithful. Gee, no idea why. It's not like she cheated on her last... Oh, wait, she did with you, buddy. And then you killed her husband. Anyhow, um, so he basically kept Edna a prisoner in the penthouse, and then he beat her to death with a telephone. Don't worry, this one's not over yet because her bodyguards come in the room, see that he just beat her to death with a telephone, and they throw him out the window. Sadly, he survives the fall, and he tried to contest her will unsuccessfully, thankfully, because she put in her will, because they were having fights all the time, that, you know, he gets nothing, so he got nothing, and then he dies. Now that is a death house. So, the penthouse, it stays vacant for years until owner Carlton Alsup, sure, why not, Alsup, he bought it and he says um, he could immediately start hearing a woman walking around the apartment, the penthouse. He said he could hear the click of high heels, and that wasn't all. Soon, him and his wife and his dogs 
start hearing a couple have violent arguments. And he said it wasn't just like past arguments. They were arguing about them, about the Alceps, about the people that moved into there. So shitty as that is, these two idiots, Edna and uh, Charles, are still fighting to this day, apparently. And uh, anyhow, Carlton, he says his guests that would come over and spend the night often reported seeing, quote, horrific, unexplainable sights. What were these sites? No idea. I tried. I wanted, like, just give me one horrific, unexplainable sight. Nope, nothing. Anyhow, so uh, Carlton's wife leaves him. His dogs die, and Carlton committed himself because he thought he was going crazy. That one has multiple ghosts and deaths and horrific, literally unexplainable sights. So, is that one a contender? I, I can't hear... I. It's a one-way thing. Even though I'm asking you a question, I really can't hear your answer. So let's just keep moving on, all right? How about that? Let's move on to... 12 Gay Street. Now, this building has a cool past. It was a speakeasy called the Pirate's Den during Prohibition and was purchased by the corrupt mayor, Jimmy Walker, as a home for his mistress, Zigfield girl, Betty Compton. All right. That starts off cool. But from there, nothing really happens until modern day when people on the streets and neighbors and people in the building say they start seeing flappers at this address, basically like Zigfield girl Betty Compton. They start seeing women in 30s outfits, 20s outfits, whenever flappers outfits are. And also they say they see the Gay Street Phantom. Also cool nickname. But the Gay Street Phantom is a, quote, dapper guy drafted in a... Drapped? No, a dapper guy dressed in a cloak and top hat. All right, short but sweet. Um, I looked it up because I wanted more from this one. And then there's a bunch of stuff I can't verify, like like this little story from a, from a website. A medium, no named, unnamed, was invited to the building to investigate its haunted past. During her visit, she sensed a distraught man accused of hiding a secret. He claimed to have been interrogated and tortured to death at the pirate's den. All right, that's cool. The only other cool thing I could find about this place was the guy that invented Howdy Doody, the doll Howdy Doody. He lived there with his family at a time. So, yeah, cool one. I don't know if that's in, I don't know if that's top, even top five most haunted places in Manhattan, but maybe. Let's, let's move on to this next. Well, all right, so this next one isn't a house, but it is. The Manhattan Well. This one's a real quick one. We go back. To the winter of 1800, when the body of a young woman named, no way in hell I'm getting this name right, Julielma Sands, sure, why not? She was found at the bottom of the Manhattan Well at, his, at what is now 129 Spring Street. The trial was one of the great scandals of the 19th century New York with Levi Weeks accused of her murder after he reportedly impregnated and promised to marry her. Kurt here. Yeah, that fucker's guilty. Uh, he was acquitted, though, because he hired famous attorneys, including Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Hey, I know them from that musical. Then, in 1817, the Manhattan Well was filled in and built over. But it was rediscovered in 1980, and people swear the ghost of... Julielma Sands still haunts the area. All right. All right. That one had a lot. It had murder. It had intrigue. It had a well. It had famous dudes. But I don't know. I'm going to say no. That's not the number one haunted location of Manhattan. So let's try this next one. For this next one, we go to... 84th West 3rd Street. Now, this building is awesome. I'm a huge fan. In case you guys don't know this, I'm a huge fan of Ghostbusters. Um, I built a proton pack with my good friend, Sean Bishop. Uh, I love Ghostbusters. Well, this place is a converted old fire station that, you know, like Ghostbusters fire station looking kind of building that is now home to Anderson Cooper. 
right out of the gate. This one is a contender. It's got Ghostbuster building. It's got Anderson Cooper. But let's get to the spoopy stuff. So, this building is apparently haunted by the ghost of Firefighter Schwartz, who hanged himself from the rafters after learning of his wife's infidelity in 1930. Over the years, firefighters have reported strange noises coming from the attic and have seen his hanging corpse. All right. Again, short but sweet, but it had death, infidelity, Anderson Cooper. I'm putting that as a contender just because of Anderson Cooper. All righty. Now we're down to the last one. As I said earlier, this last one is technically Brooklyn, not Manhattan. But I wanted to, I didn't want to end on the Anderson Cooper one. It was too short of a story. So I threw this one in here. Let's see how it ranks. It's the Le Fertz Laidlaw House at 136 Clinton Avenue. It was built in 1840. Then, one December evening in 1878, resident Edward F. Smith reported hearing a knock at his door. So he goes to answer the door, and there's no one there. So he closes the door, but the knocking starts right back up. So he quickly opens the door because he's standing right there. And no one is there. But this time, the knocking doesn't stop. He's hearing knocking on his door that his hand is holding the door, you know, the handle to. There's nobody there knocking. If that wasn't bad enough for him, the back doors and the windows started to violently rattle and bang. So he freaks out. Kurt here, rightfully so. I would too. He calls the cops. Cool. Sure, why not? Because I guess Mark Twain wasn't around to start shooting up the place. And the police get there and they made multiple officers stand out front while they check the place for intruders. That's when a brick comes smashing through the dining room window. Despite the fact that multiple officers were standing right outside that window and no one else was out there. And they didn't see a brick. Then, the New York Times later on reported on the incidents, which caused a bunch of amateur ghost hunters to hold seances on the sidewalk outside his house, which Edward F. Smith did not like. He said, They won't get in here. We consider ourselves per perfectly able to take care of any ghost that comes along. Kurt here, except uh, you didn't. You called the cops. So maybe let a couple of them take a, you know, like have them come in the house and take a, a couple of bricks to the heads or stay outside the house and take a couple of bricks to the heads instead of you. Listen, if you're in a house and you call the police because there's paranormal activity and the paranormal activity goes up and you get a bunch of people that want to come and investigate for you, let them investigate. What, are they going to make it worse? Chances are, no. Maybe the ghost will get pissed at them and follow them home or take them out. You don't like them anyway. Let paranormal investigators investigate the paranormal. Okay? All right? All right, so that's, there you go. That's the most haunted place, I don't, most haunted places in Manhattan that I could find. But here's my question to you. I know I missed some. I'm, there must be some that I missed. Now, I've talked about other haunted locations in Manhattan. Don't get me wrong. There's a bunch of theaters and churches and shit like that I've talked about in the past. But were there any residents or, or other wells? Sure, let's throw another well in there. Are there any residents in New York that is the most haunted place in New York? Or... If you if you're like I don't know I I'm, I don't live in New York I'm not I don't want I don't want to do that kind of homework. Which of these from this list is the most haunted one? You heard them all. Is it uh, Anderson Cooper's firefighter Schwartz? Is it the guy that got a brick through his window? Is it a well? Is it the speakeasy, the pirates' den? Is it? Uh, the one where uh, Edna and that guy killed her husband and then they kill each other. Um, is it the other ones? The 10 little Indian crazy ones? I, I don't know. You tell me. What is the, is it the, the house of death? 
which is the most haunted location from this list in your opinion? Also, do you guys want, here's another question. Do you guys want me to continue to find the haunted, most haunted home in all 50 states? Is that something you even want to hear? I mean, I hope so, because I, I thought it'd be a cool idea. I think it's a cool idea. So uh, let me know what you guys think. Um, yeah, for those who are listening to this live, I don't know how you are. That's incredible, but I'm about to do a Facebook Live. So I guess come out of hiding and do it with me. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Throw shit out, free out.